Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hi everyone. Uh, we live in interesting and in some ways troubling times or troubled times. Uh, we are in South Africa about to go this evening into lockdown because of the coronavirus, because of COVID-19, where we won't be able to move around. And a lot of people are experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear. A lot of people are quite worried about uh, what to expect. And a lot of people are sort of wondering, you know, what, what protection is there? What, what, uh, uh, what can we trust in? What, um, what can we look to for protection? And... Um, I think uh, many Christians are sort of struggling with with this thing, you know, do we deal with this on a practical level or a spiritual level? And and of course, uh, there's no need why we should choose between the two. We can actually do both. We can be practically safe and we can trust in the Lord uh, for protection in times like these. And um, there's obviously been uh, situations like this before where, where there have been plagues, there have been uh, epidemics, and uh, Christians have had to deal with that. And one of the scriptures that many Christians have gone to in times like th- this have, has been uh, Psalm 91. Beautiful psalm and uh, very, very applicable, very, very relevant uh, for this time. And I want to uh, just look at that. Uh, maybe I, I can just start with an example of someone who actually uh, went to Psalm uh, 91 during a time uh, when there was an, an epidemic. And, and that was Charles Spurgeon, the uh, famous Baptist preacher in London uh, in the 1850s. And uh, he was, there, there was an Asiatic cholera outbreak in London, and he was overwhelmed with work. Um, people got sick all over the place. He had to do funerals. He had to visit the sick, uh, pray for them. Uh, even many people in his own congregation suffered. And uh, it just became too much for him. And he, and he was walking back from a funeral, very sad, very downhearted uh, one day. And, you know, as, as God would have it, there, there was a... He walked past, uh, in Dover Road, he walked past a shoe shop and the, the shoemaker had in the window written in his own handwriting a quote from Psalm 91, which read as follows. Uh, it says, uh, Because uh, thou hast made the Lord, which is thy refuge, even the, the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague uh, come nigh thy dwelling, uh, which is a quote from uh, verse 9 and 10 from Psalm 91. And uh, Spurgeon was, was deeply and, and immediately encouraged, and, and he wrote the, the following, The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, uh, and lifted up, uh, with, uh, built up with immortality, uh, immortality. I went on my way, um, on my visitation to the... Uh, of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to put those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord uh, God. And and Spurgeon went on um, through this time, encouraged by by these verses. And I'm hoping that as we go through these verses together, that we too will be encouraged. So basically, I want to just share a little bit from Psalm 91 with you. And uh, particularly, uh, just ask the question, what do you trust in in times of trouble? What do you trust in in times of trouble? Um, Psalm 91 says, Whoever 
dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys in midday. So as you can see, this is very relevant to us in this time of of COVID-19. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up on their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, and will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And uh, in this beautiful, these beautiful verses, um, these, these promises are are. are, are Powerful promises in time of, of trouble and promises of protection. And one of the things that we need to see uh, is that here the, the psalmist uses a whole lot of different metaphors to portray God's protection uh, that he promises us in his word. And a few of the things that, that, he, that, that he promises is, number one, he says um, in, in the first verse, he talks about, uh, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So, so shelter is protection. If you think about a storm, shelter from the storm, we often talk about shelter from the storm. So a storm uh, with, with hail pouring down, with strikes of, of lightning, um, a shelter is something that, that covers you. Something into which you can run, which covers you and protects you from the storm. Then it goes on and, uh, and it says, we'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Now a shadow is, is similar, where shelter may protect you from a storm, say hail and lightning and stuff. Uh, shadow protects you from, from the heat of the sun. And, and of course, if you go into a very hot place, into a desert like um, Israel was, or much of Israel was at least at that stage, then you know that the, the noonday sun can be very dangerous. You know, when it gets to 40, 50 degrees Celsius in the desert, it can literally kill you. You can, you can die from, expo- from, from, from exposure to the sun and um, from heat stroke and, and from dehydration. So, once again, shadow covering. Then, he, then it goes on and it says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. And a, and a refuge is a, a protective, a secure structure into which you can run to find protection. So if you're in danger, you can run into the refuge and, and find um, protection, um, flee to it for protection. And then a fortress is a, is a stronghold or a castle uh, where if you're attacked, you can retreat into it. And there are walls of safety that protect you uh, from enemies. Um, so 
all of these, in those first two verses, there are four different kinds of protection that are mentioned. And also, interestingly enough, there are four names of God that are mentioned in those first two verses because it portrays God as our protection. Uh, it, It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Now, just a few things about, about protection, about all these different metaphors for protection. Protection is always something that gets placed between us and a certain danger. So if there's danger here, we are here, then protection is placed between us and the danger. So that whatever danger would hit us, hits the protection instead. Okay, so, so there's a... There, there, there's a placing of the protection between us and the danger, then it also requires that the protection actually be stronger than the danger. In other words, um, it goes on to, to talk about um, you know, a mother bird spreading her wings. God is like a mother bird spreading his wings over, uh, uh, over its young. Uh, he's like a shield and a rampart. Now, if, if someone tries to hit you with a sword or shoot you with an arrow, as, as they would in the days of the psalmist, then the, the shield can only protect you if the shield is, is, number one, stronger than the arrow or the sword that, 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 that is uh, a danger to you. And secondly, if, if you actually pick it up and hold it between yourself and the danger that is coming against you. And so um, all of these are pictures of God. Because it says, God is my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my shelter. He's my shield. Um, of God coming and placing himself between us and the danger that is coming against us. Number one. And it says through those names of God that God is greater than any danger we can face. So when he talks about God as the most high in the Hebrew, it's Elyon. In other words, God is the one that's higher than any other. So no matter who attacks me, uh, and what level of authority they might have. God is higher than them. God is greater than them. In words, God is greater than any danger we can face. And therefore, is a good protection. It goes on to say, we'll rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, some of you might know the word for God Almighty in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Uh, God, the all-sufficient one. God, the all-powerful one. In words, not only is he higher than any danger or dangerous person that we might face. Or that might come against us. But he's stronger. He's more powerful than any danger that can come against us. So powerful dangers can come against us. But the God who imposes himself between us and the danger is more powerful than the danger that comes against us. More powerful than any danger that comes against us. It goes on and, uh, to say, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. And the Lord, there, the word Lord is the Hebrew word Yahweh, the one who is and the one who causes all else to be, uh, the, the, the self-existent one. In other words, he's God who has always existed, who will always exist, and who is not dependent on anything for his existence. In other words, there's no danger that can outlast God. Where other things like a physical shield or a physical building are worn down through time and, and eroded and broken down eventually, uh, God is the one who has always existed, will always exist, and He's not dependent on anything for His existence. So nothing can wear Him down. Nothing can corrode His existence. Nothing can break down His protection. Uh, nothing, no danger can outlast God's protection of us. Because he is Yahweh, the God who is, the one who is, and the one who causes all else to be. 
And then uh, it says, my God in whom I trust. Uh, and it's interesting, the word God there uh, is, um, as often in the, in the, uh, in the um, Old Testament, it's in the plural, the word Elohim. El is the singular, Elohim the plural. So God is, is one God. You might think of the famous um, confession, the, the so-called Shema, which many Orthodox Jews even today, definitely in Jesus' time and in, 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 in David's time, but certainly even today uh, would confess, uh, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So on the one hand, it, it clearly says God is one, but the word for God is more than one. It's plural. It's Elohim. And, and so God, even though He's one God, is in a sense he outnumbers all our enemies because he's a plurality. And so those four names of God show us how God is not only a protection for us, but a sufficient protection. Because we can have protection, like a shield or something that we hold between us and the danger that is coming against us. But if that protection is not sufficient, if it's not strong enough, if it's not durable enough, if it's not stronger than the danger coming against us, that danger will go through the shield and still hit us, through the protection and still harm us. But what those names of God show us is that God is the ultimate protection. Uh, and, and He's stronger and, and greater than any danger. He's sufficient for any danger that we might, might face. And we might face great dangers, grave dangers even. But God is greater than them all. And that is the encouragement that this psalm gives us. So no matter what we face, no matter what danger comes against us, if God is our refuge, if He is our fortress, if He is our protection, our shield and our shelter, then we will always be safe. No matter what danger comes against us, no matter how powerful that danger might be. So the first thing that we can comfort our hearts in just like Spurgeon comforted his heart during the plague in, in London uh, in the mid-1800s is that God is sufficient protection for us. He will always be sufficient protection for us. And in, later in the psalm he sort of starts um, going through the different kinds of dangers we can face uh, like the foulest snare, like the pestilence or the plague, like you know, arrows that fly uh, by day, like dangers in the night, um, you know, armies coming against us. Uh, but, but all of them, uh, God is sufficient for them. And that is what we can comfort our hearts uh, in. And that is what I want to invite you. And, and actually, it's interesting, the psalmist starts by saying, the Lord is my refuge. And, and just by the way, let me just say that as well. Uh, he's not only most God, most high. He's not only God Almighty. He's not only the Lord Yahweh. He's not only God, but he's specifically my God. So God's protection does not extend to everyone on earth. God's protection extends to those that are in covenant with him. So the question, and, and that's what the next verse does, that the, the psalmist goes from saying, God is my refuge. And then in verse 3, he starts talking and says, Surely he will save you. In other words, he changes from talking about me, the psalmist, to you, his audience, us. And he's saying, all of us, and, and it's you singular. So each of us individually are invited through the psalm to make God our protection. To say, just like the psalmist, God, you are my God. And my question to us, um, and, and one of the conditions of God's protection is, can you call God 
Can you say of God, He is my God. I'm in covenant with Him. And God is only your God, just like Rochelle uh, is my wife because I made a marriage covenant with her. So God can be your God. He can be my God because I'm in covenant with Him. I've made a marriage-like covenant commitment to Him. I'm His, He's mine. We've committed to be faithful towards one another. And therefore, His promises apply to me. And the invitation is there for each of us to make God our God and then experience His protection. Uh, So the first thing is God's sufficient protection. But then it also talks about our response to it. And even in the first two uh, verses, there are four different responses that that the author of the psalm brings up. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, dwelling, the word dwelling there, the, the old King James used to say, whoever abides in the secret place of the Most High. So, so there's, a, there's a, not just visiting, there's a settling, there's a living, there's a taking up residence in God's shelter, in God's secret place, in God's protection. In other words, it's a way of life. It's, I'm settling down here. I live here. It's not just something I grab for in times of trouble. And, and that's one of the dangers that, uh, that, that we face as modern Christians. We, 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 we sort of want to do our own thing. But then when trouble comes, like the coronavirus or something like that, then all of a sudden we want to enter God's protection. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't just come and visit in my protection. Come and dwell here. Come and take up residence here. Make it your habitation. Then it goes on and it says, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That word rest means that um, I, I trust so much that I sort of let my hair down. I, I rest there. I, I, I'm at peace there. I'm at peace in, in God's shadow. God is standing over me and therefore no evil can come against me. And I, I'm, I, I'm at peace there. I rest in it. It's, it's as though I, I can, um, I'm peaceful enough that I can sleep. I'm not anxious. I'm unburdened. And uh, uh, th- that's the second step. We shouldn't just dwell there. We should rest in God's presence. Rest in His protection. It says, um, I will say of the Lord. So there's a place of saying, of speaking. He's my refuge and my fortress. In other words, where the world is constantly saying certain things to us that make us anxious, that make us want to step out of God's protection, that make us want to um, fear. And, and what happens when we fear is we, we put more trust in the danger that is coming against us than in the protection that God offers us. That's when we fear. And the world is constantly reminding us and saying to us, how great is this danger that is coming against us? Uh, and, and, and whether that's physical danger, uh, like we face in South Africa through crime and stuff, whether it's the danger of disease, like with the coronavirus, uh, whatever danger it might be, uh, we need to say to ourselves, where the world is saying to us, the danger is great, we need to say to ourselves, the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. He is greater than the danger that is coming against me. In other words, we have to constantly speak to ourselves. Now, I want to encourage you, even right there where you are now, speak to yourself and say, say to yourself, the Lord is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Lord is greater than the danger I face. My protection 
is more powerful than my enemies, than my danger. And then he goes on and a fourth response is, uh, my God in whom I trust. In other words, all of this sort of, if you had to encapsulate it, put it together, sort of summarize it, it's trust. Do I trust, do I have more faith in the danger that is coming against me? Then my response will be fear. Or do I have more faith in the God who is protecting me? And then my response will be peace. It will not be fear. And um, those are the responses with, with which we, we must come before God um, in this time. Uh, and we, with which we must appropriate God's protection for us. Uh, it's interesting. Um, the danger that we face is real. When we have faith in God, when we are at peace because we trust in God, we are not pretending as though the danger is not real or as though it's not powerful as though it's not strong we're just reminding ourselves that the danger is not as great as the God who is protecting us it's not as powerful as the God who who is our refuge in other words faith is not how can I put it it's not denial it's not denying the reality of the danger that we face it's accepting the reality that the God we serve is greater than the danger we face. The God who protects us and covers us is greater than, than the danger we face. Uh, in other words, it, it is being realistic. Uh, it, it goes on in verse 3 and it says, Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pe- uh, pestilence. In other words, here He, he talks about, um, firstly, I, I like that word, Surely. In other words, we can be certain of this. There's a certainty in God's salvation and His protection that we can be be sure of. And you might ask the question, but but how can I be sure? How can I know? Uh, I mean, you are mentioning already, Henny, some some conditions to God's protection. How do I know I make those conditions? And we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on. Um, But you can be sure. You can say with the psalmist, surely uh, He will save me. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare. Uh, foulest snare is a trap that is set for you. Um, and, and it's like, like the devil. He sets traps for us to try and catch us. From the deadly pestilence, like we face, the world is facing with coronavirus, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Uh, in other words, this, is, this takes all the almost impersonal pictures of um, a shadow, um, a shelter, a refuge, a fortress, which are objects of protection, buildings that offer protection, in other words. And it makes it much more personal and says, God's not just a building that offers protection. He's like a mother bird spreading her wings, her feathers and her wings over her chicks, over her little ones. Not only covering and offering protection, but warmth. there's 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 a personal, a personal aspect to God's protection where he personally places himself between us and the danger coming against us. Um, and and uh, you can imagine um, with, with, with a mother bird uh, and, and mothers in general, um, how fiercely they protect their young. And God has that same fierceness and, and driven by that same love for, for his little ones. Uh, he also uh, puts himself between uh, those he loves and the danger that is coming against them. Um, and then it says, His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. 
And, and it's interesting that the word faithfulness, you can translate it, and you'll see some translations will make it truth, and some will, will say faithfulness. But it's his faithfulness towards his truth, his faithfulness towards his, the truth of his words, the truth of his promises. And, and that shows us that to appropriate God's protection, he'll be a shield and a rampart to us, but we need to trust in his word. We need to trust that he who had part, a rampart, was like a big wall um, of a castle with a parapet on top of it. Uh, and, and when enemies come against you, you could retreat behind that wall. In other words, it's a form of, of, of stationary defense. You can retreat behind it. They can shoot arrows at you. They can shoot you know, big rocks at you from catapults and all kinds of stuff. But you, you can find shelter behind that rampart, behind that, that protective wall. And the arrows and the rocks and stuff won't eat you. But then the shield is a mobile form of defense. Uh, and it, it talks about the big shield that, that uh, um, armies would, would march into battle with, that they would hold in front of themselves, uh, and, and so that the enemy's arrows couldn't, couldn't hit them. And, and, and God is both a, a protection, a, a, in a sense, a, a, a static, a stationary protection for us, and a mobile t- protection who goes with us. And no, so no, no matter where we're standing still or whether we're moving, God is our covering, He's our protection, and he, and he protects us. But it's specifically His faithfulness to the truth of His Word, to the truth of His promises that protects us. And then it goes on, uh, and it says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And what we see there uh, is, uh, I just want you to notice that little word, you shall not fear. You shall not fear. And that is the, the very natural response that happens when, when something dangerous comes against us. So fear itself, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a natural response and a good response that causes us to preserve our lives by running away or by finding shelter. Um, But if we think that the danger coming against us is greater and we have no protection against it, then our response will be fear. So it says, my God in whom I trust. So faith is the response that God calls for. Fear is the response that the danger calls for. And, and here's the problem. Sometimes it looks like the danger is greater than our protection. Uh, some of you might have seen um, a, so, a, a solar eclipse where, where the moon moves in front of the sun and blocks the light of the sun. And sometimes we can get into a situation, we, we know that the sun is much bigger than the moon. I mean, the earth itself is bigger than the moon. And the sun is, is, is many, you know, millions of times bigger than the earth. So the sun is much greater than the moon. But because the, the moon is closer, sometimes it moves in front of the sun and it temporarily blocks the light of the sun. And sometimes our doubts do that as well. Sometimes because of our unbelief, the danger that comes against us looks greater than the God who is protecting us and sort of eclipses God for a while. And God sometimes allows that for a while to test our faith. But what we must do is focus ourselves in again on scriptures like Psalm 91, on God's promises in His words, in His faithfulness to His truth, and say, no, I, I need to remind myself that temporarily it might look like the moon is bigger than the sun and it's covering the whole sun. But actually the sun is is much greater than the moon. And it's only an optical illusion that makes the moon look bigger and look like it covers the sun. The sun is much greater. 
And God is much greater than the danger that we face. Another thing that's interesting about those verses, verse 5 and 6, and the, and the things mentioned there, whether it's the terror by night, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, the plague that destroys in daytime, all of those things are unseen. We cannot see them. Um, uh, you know, the terror of, of night, darkness. I remember... Um, you know, when we still had a TV, there was, they were advertising, I think it was on, on SA, one of the SABC channels, they, would, they were advertising, um, you know, some, you know, late night horror movies. And, they, and, and then they, they would have, you know, this guy with a deep voice, you know, talking about um, all kinds of movies. And, 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 and I just remember this sort of one-liner that, you know, that, that, that he was using to try and, you know, promote these scary movies. He was saying something like, do not fear the darkness. Fear what the darkness hides, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, very corny and so on. But so often that's true. So often we fear even more what is unseen than what is seen. It's as though the, the, the threat is greater than the execution. The threat of the danger is greater than the execution of the danger. And, and so often, you know, the terror of darkness, of night, that, that we cannot see, is actually greater than a danger that we can see. It talks about the arrow that flies by the day, and an arrow flies so fast, it's a, it's a fast-moving projectile, you, you can hardly see it. Uh, same with the pestilence that stalks in darkness and the plague that destroys at midday. You know, pestilence and plague, disease like the coronavirus, you, you cannot see it. It's, it's, uh, the, the germs and the viruses are so small, you cannot see them. And the, and the, 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 the danger is there that because we cannot see these threats, these dangers, that, that we'll be tempted to respond in fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what we cannot see. What if this happens? What if that happens? And the, the psalmist is calling our eyes back to God and saying, even if it's a, a danger that, that you're not aware of, even if it's a danger you cannot see with your, with your naked eye, do not be afraid. So he's calling us from fear to faith. Saying, don't be afraid of this. Don't respond in fear. Respond in faith in God. Don't respond by thinking about how great the danger is and how unseen and stealthy it is. But respond. Put your focus on how great God is. Just think about Peter when he walked on the water. He said to Jesus, um, as Jesus was walking on the water towards the boat, he said, Lord, if it's really you, because they were like afraid, thought maybe it's a ghost or something. Lord, if it's really you, come on to get out of the boat and walk on the water. And the amazing thing is Jesus said, come. And he stepped out of the boat and onto the water. And he walked to Jesus. And the amazing thing was, I mean, we so, so often focus on the fact that, that, that Peter sank. But the amazing thing was, while he was looking at Jesus, he actually walked on the water. But then his focus shifted from Jesus, the one who had called him, to the wind and the waves, the, the danger that he faced. And as soon as that shift in focus happened from the one who was his protection, from the one who had called him to the winds and the waves that were a danger to him, all of a sudden he started to sink. And so often we make that shift in focus as well. We sh our focus shifts away from the one who is the God, who is our protection, who is greater than the danger we face, to the danger. So we look as we're past God towards the danger that's coming against us. And fa fear has a focus on the danger, but faith as a focus on God, who is the God who is protecting us from the danger. And that's what the psalmist is calling us to focus on. And that, that's the, what, what I am encouraging us to focus on in this time. Yes, there's a lot of things to be afraid of if you focus on the danger. 
But if you focus on the one who protects you from it, you won't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Um, but then there's another danger. It's not, the problem is not just um, that we might respond instead of in faith, we might respond in fear. But the other danger is that instead of responding in faith, we might actually on the other end of the spectrum respond in presumption. And I almost want to say in recklessness. Uh, this, this psalm goes on and it says, A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand um, might fall at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. And then verse 9 says, If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I mean, those promises are so amazing, so extensive that you might, you're almost tempted to say, wow, this, this almost seems too much. It seems like just a blanket statement of protection from the Lord, like nothing's ever going to happen to us. No trouble is ever going to come in our life, or even come near our tent. And I, th- I think that there are a few reasons why we should be hesitant to interpret the psalm in that way. Um, the, uh, the first reason, uh, I think, is because the rest of Scripture actually shows us, and even the rest of the psalm shows us that that is not true. Just because you believe in the Lord, even when you are faithful to Him, even when you do love Him, even when you do put your trust in Him, trouble still comes into your life. I mean, there are many of the psalms, uh, the rest of the psalms, um, that say, that are actually um, prayers, crying out to God during times of trouble, and saying, God, rescue me from this trouble, rescue me from this danger, rescue me from, from this hardship. So the, the, the rest of Scripture, when you read this psalm in context, tells us that, that even if you have faith in God, even if you do trust in Him, even if you are faithful towards Him, even if you do confess His Word, because in many of those psalms, the psalmist does confess the, the Word of the Lord, trouble still comes into your life. So what it seems to, 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 to promise the, the whole of Scripture is not that trouble will not come into your life, but that God will save you from, from that trouble. Secondly, another reason why we should be hesitant to interpret this psalm as just a blanket statement of protection uh, that no trouble will ever come into our life um, in any form is that that, that psalm that you'll see um, the the, the punishment of the wicked. So it seems to be not just any kind of trouble that will not come, but but trouble as retribution specifically. So one, one of the things that, that you can know, when, when you believe in God, when you say, God, you are my God, I trust in you. If trouble does come into your life, you can know that trouble doesn't come as judgment. And, and if the psalmist could know that a few hundred years before uh, Christ, how much more can we, looking back and seeing Christ on the cross, know that when trouble comes into our life, one thing we can know for sure is that it doesn't come as judgment. Christ did not suffer, Tom Keller says, Jesus did not suffer so that we wouldn't have to suffer, but so that when we do suffer, we become more like him. And we know that we don't suffer because of God's judgment on us, because God's judgment came on him. Um, Another reason why we should be hesitant to interpret the psalm just as a blanket statement that no trouble will ever come into your life is because we actually want that to be true. (laughs) Wouldn't it be so convenient (laughs) if... 
God's promises uh, prohibited any trouble from ever coming into our lives. So, so you know, we are through the media and so on, through movies and TV programs, many of which is uh, made in, in Hollywood, we are conditioned to want the American dream. You know, health, wealth, happiness, um, no discomfort, no trouble ever coming into your life. So we actually want that to be true. The problem is that the trouble we face is not only trouble from the outside, which this psalm primarily focuses on, but also trouble on the inside. So the danger that we face is not only external danger, which God needs to protect us from, but God also needs to protect us from internal danger, the danger of sin, the danger of our own selfishness on the inside. And often God needs to use external danger to make us more aware of the internal danger of our selfishness and sin that He needs to save us from. So one of the, another reason why we should sort of be hesitant to interpret this uh, in, in that way of just a blanket statement of, of protection and no trouble in your life and always being comfort, no discomfort in your life, is because we so desperately want it. We want to interpret it that way. Um, another reason, a fourth reason, is because the devil wants us to interpret it that way. Now you might say, oh, anyway, how do you get that? Well, uh, interestingly enough, um, the one place in the Bible where the devil actually interprets Scripture, he does that in Luke chapter 4. From verse 9 to 13. Let me just read that to you. This is when Jesus is being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And it says, The devil led him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point on the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. And then he quotes Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So that's Psalm, Psalm 91. It goes on and it says, Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's, that's from Deuteronomy 6 verse 16. And then it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, so it identifies what the devil is doing here as temp- temptation, he left him until an opportune time. So, so, here you have the one place in the Bible where the devil, that I can find in any case, where the devil actually quotes scripture. And he's quoting from Psalm 91. And he's wanting Jesus to interpret Psalm 91 as just a blanket statement. You can be reckless. You can uh, just throw yourself down from the, the pinnacle of the temple. Because hasn't God given you these extensive promises to protect you? Hasn't he given you all these promises in Psalm 91? So the devil actually wants us to interpret this as license to be reckless. License to just jump off buildings. Because God will give his angels charge over us to protect us. So on the one hand we have the danger of responding in fear. On the other hand we have the danger of responding in recklessness. But faith, the third option, is not fear, it's not recklessness. Um, Jesus says, no you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So just a few things that, that the devil does here uh, is he notice he, he throws out he leaves out that uh, in his quotation that one little phrase he, he'll give his angels charge to to um, and they will guard you in all your ways. In other words, God protects us and he covers us when when um, when we walk in our ways. In other words, God's ways for us. God's ways in the Bible talks about ways of life. 
God's ways that we should walk in. Now, Jesus' way that he should walk in, it was not that he should throw himself down from the temple and die in that way. Jesus knew he was going towards the cross. He knew the way that God had for him. He knew the, 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 the life that God had for him. And the devil was trying to tempt him to deviate, to, to step out of God's way, out of God's paths that God had given to Jesus, his ways, um, and into, into a different way. And say, but you can do this spectacularly. You don't have to die in shame on a cross. You, don't, uh, you can throw yourself down from the temple and, and his angel will catch you. And people will believe in you and they'll think, oh, you know, how amazing are you, you know. Um, but Jesus says, no, you're misinterpreting scripture. You're taking it out of context. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't, uh, and, 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 and he's referring to Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 where it says, do not tempt the Lord your God as you did in Massa. That was when the Israelites um, didn't have water. And they said, you know, where's the Lord? Is the Lord among us or not? So don't try and test whether God is with you. Trust that he's with you. And don't use God, God's promises as an excuse to test whether he's with you and whether he's, uh, he's faithful to his word. But trust in it that he is. So, so in other words, the psalm is not a invitation or a license to be reckless. In other words, faith does not, true faith, true trust in God does not require recklessness. It does not require us to be, um, to, to throw all practical measures out. So, so this is very important for us, for instance, you know, during this time uh, with the coronavirus. We should still wash our hands. You know, we should still maybe not shake hands and, and avoid physical contact and do social distancing. We should still stay at home during this t- time of, of quarantine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing in, in doing that. There's, uh, th- that's not opposed to faith. It's not opposed to trusting God. We can still be practical and responsible and have faith in God at the same time. So if you're taking practical measures to to prevent the spread of coronavirus, um, don't think that because you're doing that, you're not having uh, faith in God. You're not putting your trust in God. You can still put your trust in God while you're doing those things. Um, So another reason I think why um, we should not interpret that scripture that way, in other words, as just a license to be reckless. Um, So so for instance, let me just sort of summarize this this portion of, of, of what I'm saying in this way. There's God's adequate protection. He's, he's sufficient protection. He's more powerful than the danger that is, that is facing us. There's of, are often inadequate response. Um, we, can, we, we can respond in fear to our... We can respond in fear to the danger that we face because they're so great. Um, or we can respond in recklessness and presumption because we misinterpret God's promises as license just to be reckless and to be presumptuous, or we can respond in faith. Uh, I just want you to notice maybe that there are quite a few during the psalm, there are quite a few places where, where there are basically conditions that are set uh, for, for the psalm. Let me just go through a few that, that I put in, uh, into my notes. They are the following. If you dwell or abide in the shelter of the Most High, I already mentioned that one. If you, if you dwell or abide in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, one of the conditions is abiding God's presence. Um, I will say of the Lord is my refuge. So, so in other words, 
uh, not only abiding in His presence, but constantly reminding yourself uh, that He is your, your, your refuge and your shelter. Uh, he's my God in whom I trust. So faith, trust in God uh, is, is, a, is a condition. Uh, another one is, He says, you will, you will see the judgment of the wicked, the punishment of the wicked. So, so implicit in that statement is um, the implication that God's judgment does come on the wicked. So the condition there is that you shouldn't be wicked, which is a bit of a challenge um, to us. And we're going to see all of these conditions are a little bit of a challenge to us. But, but the, the, the assumption is that you are not wicked, that you are not evil, that you are not uh, corrupt. That you are um, th- that you are abiding by God's law and His standard. Uh, another one is um, uh, where where it says um, he because He loves me, and, and this is what we see in in verse fourteen to sixteen. Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue Him, I will protect Him. Okay, so having love for the Lord. Another one is uh, says I will protect Him because He acknowledges my name, acknowledges God's name, calling upon His name. Uh, actually, and then he says, He will call on me and I will answer him. I will uh, be with him in trouble. I uh, will rescue him or save him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. So, so here we see another one um, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, when you are in trouble, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I just want you to notice here, okay, our, when we look at those conditions, putting our trust in him, loving him, uh, calling on Him, not being wicked, loving, uh, acknowledging Him, etc., we realize that even when we do respond in those ways, our response is inadequate. Our trust in God is not enough. Our love for Him is not enough. Uh, sometimes we are a bit wicked. Sometimes we do sin against Him and break His law. Um, sometimes we don't acknowledge Him. Sometimes we don't call upon Him when we, when we, when we do so, when we should. So, so the, the question is, is my response sufficient to merit God's sufficient protection? The psalm also says, I will protect him because he acknowledges me. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. So even the psalm, not only does it, the devil wants us to misinterpret that psalm, but the psalm itself says explicitly, not that God will save you from all trouble, that trouble will never come into your life, but that God will be with you in the trouble. In other words, true and ultimate protection is not protection. Um, is it, let me put it this way. It's not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. We are safe and we understand from God's word that we are safe. Not when trouble is completely absent from our lives. But when God is constantly present in our lives. That is is true protection. In other words, I mean, the temptation is there to say, um, God, if I trust in God, He will protect me from all trouble. Therefore, if there's trouble in my life, then God must not be in my life. In other words, we might throw it around and say the presence of trouble implies the absence of God. And what this psalm is saying, no, 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 no. God is saying, I will be with you in trouble. The promise of protection is not the promise of the absence of trouble, but for, of the presence of God in trouble, uh, which is a much greater protection. So, how does God give us that protection? We looked at God's sufficient protection. We looked at our uh, insufficient response. 
Um, but let's also look at Christ's sufficient sacrifice, which makes, makes God's sufficient protection available to us. Let's just go back to that metaphor, that beautiful metaphor in, um, in the psalm of a mother bird spreading its wings over its little one, covering them under, his, under her wings and under her feathers. The interesting thing is that Jesus actually uh, refers to that metaphor and uses that metaphor in Luke chapter 13. He says, in any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. So he's talking about Jerusalem, and he's specifically talking about going to die in Jerusalem. All of this is in the context of, of God's judgment, just like the psalm. You know, you will see the punishment, the judgment that comes on, on, on the wicked. So Jesus is talking about judgment, and he says, I must go, in the context of this judgment, I must go to Jerusalem to die in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 34 of, of Luke 13, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather you, to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what we see here, Jesus referring to exactly the same metaphor, metaphor of a mother hen covering her chicks, her, her, her little ones under her wings. He's saying, I must go, um, I will cover you. I, I long to cover you in my wings. I long to cover you uh, un, uh, under my protection. I once heard a, a, a story of um, two game rangers after a, a big fire in, in a in a game park, I can't even remember what what what, uh, what the park was. They were walking through um, this burned down um, region. All the trees, all the grass, all the plants had just been completely burned. Everything was black um, because of the fire, burned to to suit. And, and they 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 came upon a stump of a big tree, and and just in front of it on the ground was a was a nest with a with a, a bird sitting in the mother bird sitting upright in the nest, but burnt completely black. Um, she was obviously clearly dead, uh, and and it looked kind of weird. And, and they sort of, as they came closer, they saw, wow, you know, th- you know, there's, there's still little pieces of this burnt nest uh, left there, uh, and the completely burnt, you know, blackened mother bird sitting on, on on top of it, and it looked really weird, you know. And she was dead. So one of the rangers sort of went closer and sort of, you know, kicked kicked the, 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 the dead mother bird sort of off the nest and, and out jumped three little chicks from under the mother bird and started running, running around um, uh, in the black burnt grass. And they were completely astonished and amazed. And, and what had happened was this, this mother bird had in the fire, I mean, she could have obviously fl- flown away, but what she'd done was as she was sitting on the nest on her three chicks, she decided to stay there you know, cover her chicks in her wings. And as the fire was raging around her, and eventually a feather started catching fire, and she started burning, she just sat there. She stayed there to protect her little chicks who were underneath her. And she eventually ended up giving her life just by staying, taking the fire, the danger of the fire, the burning of the fire upon herself so that her chicks would not have to suffer it. And so, when Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem to die, He's saying, judgment is coming. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to stay. 
I'm going to cover you in my wings. I'm going to stay. I'm going to take the fire of judgment upon myself. It's going to burn me to a crisp. It's going to kill me, literally. But in the greatest act of protection, maybe we said protection is when there's, there's someone that places themselves, or something that is placed between us and the danger coming against us. Jesus says, the danger of punishment is coming upon you. I'm going to place myself between, and I'm going to stay. And it's going to kill me. That's what it costs me. It's going to kill me. But it's going to save you. Just like those little chicks that, that survived the fire because their mother remained there, stayed there, and sat on, on the nest. So we will survive judgment because Jesus stayed on the cross and He took the fire of judgment for us. And it's, it's, it's so powerful when you, when you look at um, those last verses of um, Psalm 91, um, notice this, because He loved me. Now, if, if there was anyone, we mentioned you know, the prerequisites of, of the conditions of having God's protection, dwell in the shelter of the Most High, um, must say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my strength, must trust in the Lord, must love the Lord, must acknowledge Him, uh, must call upon His name, must not be wicked. There's only one person who ever fulfilled all of those conditions completely, and that is Jesus. So, so when it says, because He loves me, the only one of whom God the Father can say that completely, who loved the God, God the Father completely, was Jesus. I mean, if, if, if you and I, if, if we had to honestly sort of measure our trust in God and our love for God, you know, if you had to measure it sort of out of 10, what would you give yourself out of 10? How much do you love God? Most of us, if we're honest, would probably say less than 10. I don't love God perfectly. I don't love Him completely. I don't love Him the way that He loves me. So, Jesus did. He fulfilled all of those conditions completely. So, if anyone deserved God's protection, then it was Jesus. He says, Therefore, I will rescue him. I will protect him because he acknowledges my name. He'll call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And the irony is that Jesus, the one person who really deserved all of this protection, because he really did love the Father, he really did acknowledge him, he he didn't receive all of that. He, he was not rescued. When he hung on the cross, he was not rescued. In other words, all of the benefits that he deserved from, from, from these promises and from the psalm, he didn't receive. He was not rescued. He said, God said, I will protect him. God the Father did not protect him. He withdrew his protection upon him so, he, so that he could suffer on the cross. Um, he says, he will call on me and I will answer him. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the one time in the, in the Bible when Jesus' prayers were not answered. So Jesus called upon the Father and was not answered. So that when we call upon the Father, we can be answered. Um, I will be with him in trouble. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not with me in my trouble? I am loving you. I am acknowledging you. And, and we, we see that everything that we deserved, the rejection that we deserved, Jesus received. But the protection that Jesus deserved, he forsook that. He, he, he let go of that so that we could actually receive that. Uh, I will deliver him. Jesus was not delivered from the cross. He died on the cross. I will honor him, is the promise in Psalm 91 verse uh, 15. Jesus, not only was he not honored, he was shamed. He hung naked on the cross. 
And people walked by and shouted insults at him, spat on him, cursed him, derided him. So instead of receiving honor, he received shame. So it says, with a long life, I will satisfy him. But Jesus says life was cut short. He was, he was in his 30s when he, when he died. So he was still a relatively young man. And he didn't, receive, he didn't um, experience a long life. And, and he died a terrible death. So, so this promise, he didn't receive it so that we could receive it. Uh, and it says, I will show him my salvation. And, and on the cross, Jesus was not saved from the cross. He, so, so Jesus basically said, I will forego all of these promises. All of this protection, I will forego it. I will allow you, Father, t- take the protection away from me, the one who actually deserves all these protections, the one who actually fulfilled all the conditions so that I could receive this protection. I will forego all of this protection. I will forego all of these promises so that those who don't deserve it, those who don't fulfill the conditions, can actually receive it. So the good news is that Jesus, whose response to God's promises in terms of trust, love, all of those things, was sufficient, said, I will not receive this protection so that those whose response in trust and love and all of that is insufficient, that they can actually receive God's protection. So the good news is that you might read the psalm and say, well, all of those explicit and implicit if statements, you know, those, all of those conditions, I don't perfectly fulfill it. The good news is Jesus did perfectly fulfill it on your behalf and on my behalf, so that even though my response is imperfect, I can still receive God's perfect protection. And I want to encourage you, therefore, the ultimate protection, the ultimate refuge, the ultimate shelter, the ultimate fortress, the ultimate shadow, the ultimate wings under which you must be covered, the ultimate protection from traps and from pestilence and plagues is Jesus Christ himself. Being in him and in him having access to all the perfect promises of God. Even as as Paul says in Corinthians, in him, in Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So, in closing, um, I just want to remind you that real protection is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And in Jesus Christ, God went through our troubles so that he could protect us in them. And I want to just encourage you, make that shift in your focus. Some of you are focusing so much on the great danger that you face that you're missing the even greater God who is protecting you from that danger. So I want to, with the psalmist, invite all of us, let us focus on God. He is much stronger than the coronavirus. He's much greater than the coronavirus or any other danger that we might ever face. And if he was so filled with compassion for us and he loved us so much that he says, I long, not I'm willing to spread my wings over you and take the fire of judgment for you. I long to spread my wings over you and face, take the fires of judgment upon myself so that you can be protected and covered. Can we not have confidence? Can we not um, have trust in a God like that? I think we can. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.